Welcome to this edition of The Rich Urban Show. I'm your host, Richard Urban. Today, we're very happy to have on Bill Ridenauer. He's a candidate for Delegate District 100. That's the new district that includes uh, Shannondale and the area around there. So um, please introduce yourself, Bill. Yeah, I'm Bill Ridenauer. Uh, I'm a constitutional conservative. I'm running for the Republican nomination for District 100. Uh, I am a retired Marine. Uh, and I am also a retired defense intelligence officer. I just retired out of the Pentagon uh, this past year. I was the strategic policy chief for the intelligence directorate, uh, J2, within the Pentagon. Um, I have uh, served basically 41 years in the Department of Defense, uh, and I recently decided in December that I couldn't watch where the country was going without trying to continue to serve somehow. Uh, and I believe that my best option to try and serve is uh, in the state legislature as part of the House of Delegates. Okay. Well, what do you, thank you for that introduction. What do you think are the most important issue or issues that are facing West Virginia right now? Well, but right now, from what I, when I talk with uh, the constituents that I hope to uh, serve, um, the issue that I hear the most frequently is the direction of our country as a whole. It's, it's not just uh, about West Virginia. It's a, a deep and abiding concern with where the country is headed. Uh, we have uh, a, a federal regime that appears to be, uh, in many respects, um, out of control uh, or controlling, uh, trying to control all aspects of our lives. So that, that's an issue that I think that the state legislature, specifically under the federalist system, uh, needs to be addressing. Uh, our federalist system uh, designed by the founders was focused on uh, two aspects, uh, the federal government uh, and the, the states. Uh, and the states, in terms of the state legislatures, were those entities that um, were supposed to hold the federal government in check. <clears throat> Most people remember from civics and everything that there are checks and balances within the federal government, but the right. principal check on the federal government was supposed to be the state legislatures. Yeah, um, and interesting, that made me think of the whole, you know, the thing with the uh, electoral college and how st states were going to um, challenge the outcome, but that didn't really happen. But I, I know what you mean. States, the original concept, I believe, of the founders, I think, is, you know, a limited role of the federal government that has gotten huge. Yeah. Yes. And it, it was never the intent of the founders for the federal government to become as powerful as it is. There was never, there's been a deliberate misinterpretation uh, of the Commerce Clause in order to try and justify the types of uh, federal power uh, that is exercised over most aspects of our, our lives today. Uh, and that was right. never the intent of the founders. The founders wanted the states to be a major aspect of uh, our government writ large, not just a, a subsidiary to uh, the federal government. Um, and that, that's why up until really about the, uh, the time of the depression, the federal government was, a, uh, was less significant in people's lives than the state governments were in terms of determining where uh, and how government would um, assist in or um, regulate uh, the issues within the states. Okay. So it, it's, it's really yeah. expanded since the, the depression. Um, and it's expanded to the point where it's now become oppressive in many ways. Right. 
So talking about mandates, now I know this was a bigger issue two years ago in people's minds, but to me, it's still an important issue. So what I'm getting at, since you're, we're talking about the delegates position here in West Virginia, is the mandates that were imposed like in 2020 in West Virginia, many people were unhappy that the governor justice imposed these mandates that went on and on for months and months and months for mass mandates and various different restrictions, specifically those kind of the mass mandates and restrictions on entering stores and all that kind of thing. Now, that I was looking through all the legislature for this year uh, that I could see, and that was not ever corrected. It failed. So what happened in 2020, as you may remember, it it passed the House way majority, and then the Senate, the wrongly named Senator Trump from Martinsburg area, killed it. And basically, he was kind of led the charge to kill it and gut it. And the House, of course, couldn't accept their gutted version. All that being said, the short question is, you know, we're still stuck with those uh, that language in the West Virginia code and constitution that allows the governor to have virtually unlimited powers. And as far you correct me if I'm wrong, as far as I know, the legislature this time did not correct that. In yes. fact, I didn't even see that it came up. I think this is a very short-sighted view. Do you have any opinions on these? Yeah, I, I really do. Yes. I, and and I agree wholeheartedly that the mandates were in fact wrong. I don't believe that those mandates uh, helped people in, in any real way. Um, I don't, I don't believe that mask mandates, vaccine mandates, uh, mandates to close businesses or anything like that, frankly, are even constitutional, much less um, from the, the U.S. Constitution or from the West Virginia Constitution, from, from my understanding of it. Um, but I, I, I do disagree with uh, any kind of mandates that are going to be imposed. I, I, frankly, I think that the governor exercised uh, far more power than he actually has under the Constitution. Uh, and I don't think that he should have been uh, trying to impose those types of mandates. I, I think that there were efforts, there were bills uh, in the House, uh, and I thought there were some bills in the Senate to do away with some of the mandates, but I, I don't think that they passed. And I was uh, from, and I, it's, I haven't been able to keep up with the latest, uh, the last versions that have uh, been passed or anything, but I believe all of them failed and they failed in one of the committees uh, and that's something that we need to try and resolve. And I believe they all were in the Senate, as you indicated. So yeah, I, I think I misspoke. I said it. 20. It was actually <clears throat> 21 when they were doing that, because in 20, it was just emerging. So I think right. by the time right. the legislature met, it was, a, you know, it was it wasn't the, nothing was to be done yet in 20, yes. but 21. But in 22, again, I didn't you said there were some bills. And there were some bills I know to, to look at um, eliminating mask mandates um, uh, and to stop some of the vaccine mandate efforts uh, by um, various entities. So, and I'd have to go back and research all of them because there were a couple of thousand bills on both sides right. of the Senate and the House. <clears throat> so, but you would be in favor of correcting that um, absolutely the code absolutely. where it said. Like the, I read that bill that the, um, that was up in 21, I think that's right, in the last legislative session, not the one that just happened, the one before, 
And it was a decent bill, but it got like gutted. I heard some of the debate. The wrongly named, in my opinion, Mr. Trump from Martinsburg gutted it. And he said the governor was doing a wonderful job. So that that kind of segues to another topic. There seems yeah. to be a lot of so-called Republicans in West Virginia who aren't really Republicans or aren't really, you know, like you, I see on your literature are consider yourself or are constitutional conservative. Well, they're not really. And whether it's Republican or Democrat, there's a lot of like politics as usual or good old boy politics or anyway, do you have any comment about that? Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I, I'm um, as anti-Rhino as you could possibly get. I, I've seen rhinos uh, essentially undermine our country for decades, almost since the time that I began voting. I voted in the primary for Reagan in 1976, and I've voted Republican ever since then. <clears throat> I, I think that it's something that we have to try and um, do about our own party, uh, the Republican Party, uh, in terms of identifying those individuals who really are not Republican or don't uh, uh, adhere to Republican values. And those mm -hmm. values, frankly, the Republican parties evolved from a big tent party uh, in the, the 60s, 70s to really a much more conservative party over the last 20 years, 30 years. Uh, and yet we still have leaders within the federal system, uh, the federal um, entities, uh, Congress specifically, senators and, and congressmen. I would point to Mitch McConnell, uh, Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski uh, mm -hmm. as uh, classic rhinos. Um, those types of individuals, frankly, are not really Republicans. They are, they are individuals who are uh, exploiting uh, their political positions for uh, their own gain or for a political constituency that isn't necessarily um, re representative of what people who in, are in the Republican Party want. So okay. yes, I, I believe that and I believe that there, there are efforts uh, to get people into um, our West Virginia legislature as well who are um, not representative of the types of Republican values and those conservative values that we need, particularly constitutional conservative values, individuals who believe that we do need to try and interfere in how uh, people live, uh, try to, to let, tell them that they need to um, not use uh, fossil fuels, that they need to buy electric right, cars, right. that need to be forced to, into electric cars. So, or yeah. So to interject here on, yeah. sorry, on the, uh, West Virginia level. So you talked about the primary concern, and of course I share that concern too, where our country is going. What would you do or could you do in the West Virginia House regarding the direction of our country? Well, I, I think that we need to be trying to pass bills similar to some of the bills that we see in some other state legislatures, because we do see state legislatures standing up uh, and pushing back on the federalist um, overreach, uh, the federal overreach uh, and power. Uh, so things like um, declaring that we have, a, getting a, a declaration that we have an energy emergency in uh, West Virginia and working with other states to have them declare energy emergencies and then begin to uh, build uh, or uh, produce as much uh, natural gas coal uh, as we possibly can in order to supply not only our state, but other states, declaring that we have an agricultural emergency uh, based upon the impending food shortages that we're hearing about and I believe are, are, are coming soon. 
So getting those types of uh, declarations out there so that we are in fact producing as much food as we can for our own population, energy for, uh, for our own population, uh, and trying to get other states to do similar things uh, in their state legislatures, and then thereby declare that since it is an emergency, we're not going to adhere to some of the federal regulations that are being imposed on us to try and prevent us from producing both agricultural products and uh, energy. Okay, right. So moving to another issue. Now this again, I didn't see in my review. Again, like you said, there are thousands of different bills, I guess thousands, yeah, bills. Of course, most of them never see the light of day, but election integrity, to me, that's still important. Now, I didn't hear about any big scandals in West Virginia, although some people think it's fishy locally that the, uh, what do you say? You, the uh, school excess levy passed. Like I, I lobbied against that. That's like 40% of our property tax. And as we know, the school wastes a lot of money. So I know that's not directly related, but here's what I'm getting at. Some people think they don't know anybody who voted for that that going to think it passed. But anyway, here's my question. What should be or could be done for uh, strengthening election integrity? And I'll also mention recently, you know, in the last, uh, since 16, so in 18 and 20, and now in 22, we have only electronic voting machines. Like when we go to vote here in Shenandoah, well, Jefferson County, and those are kind of like what some people call black box machines, you know? Before you could, if you wanted, vote on a paper ballot, but no longer. So should we do anything about that? Also, the line's ridiculously long. Why? Because they had like three daggum machines, and yet, and they only processed, I counted it and checked it, 33, 35 voters an hour on these machines. So it also increased voting time. So what? So two questions. Yeah, what can we do about election integrity, or should we do, if anything, in your opinion? And what about this thing about this trend to use machines? And also, I'm not clear. I, I mean, meaning to research more. But are those machines mandated at the state level, or is that the choice of Jefferson County? Well, I'm not sure what about the machines and whether or not they're mandated. Uh, I will say that I'm absolutely a proponent of free and fair elections. I, I want to see if we can work with uh, some of those entities that are looking at election reform uh, to, to establish more free and fair elections. We've seen that ever since the 2020 election with a, a, a large uh, surge in efforts to see if we can develop uh, a much freer and more transparent election process. Um, so I, I would like us to work with our, our Board of Elections to work in the state, work with other uh, state uh, elections entities, uh, as well as reform entities to determine the best way forward. I, I'm not a fan of the um, black box type uh, voting systems. Uh, one, as you mentioned, we don't have enough. I, I would say that's probably a, a problem because that tends to deter people from voting if they're getting into a line that uh, extends too long. Uh, and they don't want to wait that long. Yeah, to wait 45 minutes. But <clears> when in 16, they had a one or two machines, but you could vote paper ballot. Boom, you just go in, you vote, you're out. So right. if people were standing around 45 minutes just simply because, you know, they didn't have that option anymore. And there was 
instead of eight voting stations, there were like three. Yeah, I, I would like to see us try and get back to some kind of uh, system where, in fact, there's a paper record of any type of vote, whether it is a machine-generated paper, paper record or it's a paper ballot itself. Well, and, let me interject could, about that. Go ahead. Sure. The machine, yeah. machine <clears throat> prints a record, but right. I'm not, okay, I'll, I'll make a confession. <laughs> you know, I, I, last time I voted, I didn't look at the daggum thing to see if it printed what I voted for. So that, and actually I saw a survey that like 75% of people didn't properly look. So, I mean, that's an issue right there. And also, yeah, so I mean, yeah, it does print out a little paper, but also a lot of people don't look at it. I have to confess, even I've been guilty of that, even though I'm in favor of more integrity. Why interject this machine? And these machines, the code is unknown. They're not like, what do you, suppose yeah, yeah. state, some states have laws that they can get the computer code. Anyway, why even do that? We don't know what the machine's doing. We don't know if it's connecting to some server in God knows where. Yeah. I mean, supposedly it, it's not, but many people proved that that was not correct. Well, we, we, you saw that with the Dominion machines and the right. about the Dominion machines in other states. Uh, and that, that, I think, is something that needs to be investigated for those elections. Uh, but we need to absolutely ensure transparency. Right. Um, why, I, why even use those machines? I don't understand. And the, if you have a paper ballot, it's still true that I guess the machine tabulates it. But if there's a question, there's a, less um, hands involved. Right. Anyway, and, and at that point, you actually have a, a system. You can go back and actually verify that that um, vote was that vote. It, it, you don't have to worry about whether or not the individual, as you mentioned, looked at the machine close enough to determine whether or not they voted correctly uh, before they hit the button and everything, because you, you could end up with something like that. Yeah, and, well, and it prints out the little paper, and you're supposed <clears> to check it, and then you give it to the attendant, and if I'm not mistaken, then they feed it into the tabulator. Right. So well, my, my sons, um, two of my sons work cybersecurity issues. One is uh, an infantry lieutenant, so he's in East Africa now. He's, he's not doing that right now, uh, but he works... Uh, <clears throat> as a cybersecurity op, uh, operations officer. So, and my other son does uh, cybersecurity uh, software engineering. Uh, and I can tell you from my background in counterintelligence, uh, where we were looking at those types of activities, it is not that difficult for an entity to get inside of a uh, system, such as we're talking about with this election system, and create um, a malware that can change votes or can change the way that uh, votes are read. So <clears throat> that, that I think is a significant um, threat. Uh, and I, I've heard people say that that can be mitigated. I don't think that that threat would exist as you're talking about with paper ballots, because you're not talking about being inside of a system. At that point, you have to <clears throat> you can still count all of those ballots by hand. That, that is a tedious process, I understand. But the point is, free and fair elections. If it's tedious and we get a free and fair election, that's better than if it's not tedious and we do not get a fair election. Yeah, agreed. And then also, yeah. um, probably to close the topic down, yeah, I think that's important. And also the, um, the thought escaped my mind. But let's move along on... Another topic that I think is really under underreported in West Virginia, and I'd like to get your opinion. And each year there are many bills now for three plus decades dealing with this. And that what is 
what is some people call vaccine choice. Now, I know during COVID, expansion of this uh, term became much more widespread. But I, as you may or may not know, West Virginia, you should know. Anyway, we'll talk about it now. They do not allow attendance at any public school or private school unless you receive all the doses, which is 13 or 14 doses. No, there's 11 vaccines, and I think 14 doses between, you know, birth and 18. If you don't take all those vaccines, I'm not talking about COVID, although that could be stuck on there in the future because you know how crazy the CDC is. West Virginia is one of only two states in the country, other than Mississippi. Oh, no, now it's four, I think. But originally two states that says you may not attend public school or private school unless you have all these vaccines. And a group of people, including myself, have been fighting against that. And it never gets so far anywhere. Most of those bills never see the light of day. Would you fight for this right? I think it's so crazy yes, that this is a mountaineer state and we have all this sec I I by the way, I'm in favor of Second Amendment rights, and I see you are, but we don't have the right to choose what goes into our children's own bodies. Well, I, you have I a comment on that? Would. Yeah, I, I absolutely would support that because I, I, I consider that um another intrusion by government in our personal lives. Um I, I don't believe that the government should be dictating what we do put into our, our bodies and what we don't. Um, and that, that's the type of um, overreach by both state and federal government that I want to try and fight. Uh, I, I uh, don't dispute that vaccines help, but those aren't necessarily something that help everyone. Um, and in particular, we've seen that with uh, the COVID vaccine. My father passed away four days after he got his second shot. Uh, of the vaccine and it was from the vaccine although that's not the way that i'm sure that the medical examiner listed it because that's the way that uh we've been uh kind of manipulating data unfortunately within yes. our country in order to try and convince people yeah things but yes i absolutely would be uh fighting against that type of mandate uh, and it kind of goes back to aspects of our west virginia constitution wherein uh, it tends to be much more centralized than many other state constitutions. That's because of the way that it was developed. It was developed not by West Virginians. It was developed by people outside of the state uh, who did not trust the people of West Virginia. I trust the people of West Virginia. I think that we need to be making revisions to uh, our overall West Virginia mm -hmm. constitution in order to decentralize our government and ensure that our government is in the hands of the people. Uh, we should be trying to uh, lessen the impact of our state government, not only just our federal government. That's, I mean, I, I talked a lot about our, uh, the overreach of the federal government, mm -hmm. but we also have an overreach by our own state government. And in particular, I, I look at our, our state board of education, which kind of, uh, which directly impacts what you're talking about in terms of the vaccine. Our state board of education is a fourth, an unaccountable fourth branch of government, essentially. Uh, it does what it wants to do. Uh, it, it has four Democrats and four Republicans appointed by mm -hmm. the governor. Well, that doesn't make a great deal of sense. Yeah. Oh, well, let me interject there. It's actually the legislature that sets the policy that's for the vaccines. But right. I go ahead. Yeah, I we we need to put our, our state board of education back under control. Um, there's a bill that I believe has passed and that um, is going to be signed. Uh, that will give the uh, legislature some oversight over 
the State Board of Education, but frankly, I'm, I'm not sure I understand the rationale for a State Board of Education. And uh, unless there's a great argument for a State Board of Education, I'd like to see us um, mm -hmm. eliminate the State Board of Education and ensure that our uh, county boards of education are in fact working for the, the people first and for working with the county commissions as opposed to adhering to what a State Board of Education. Uh, okay. Yeah. That, yes, I, I would fight against against uh, any kind of vaccine mandate. Uh, that, yeah, well, we're, yeah, we've been stuck with that. So yeah, you would sure. be uh, we'd be glad to have a good fighter in there. So that's yeah. a positive point for you. In my opinion, that's an issue that's close to my heart. Um, and a lot of people actually. Well, um, freedom is to me as well. I mean, that's freedom. That's what we're trying to, to right. fight for. That's what I'm going to fight for my entire time as a delegate. Okay. You mentioned seeking out on your uh, campaign literature, workers who like have been dismissed due to vaccine mandates. I think that's a good idea. But on the other hand, we have uh, entities like, I'm not sure exact policy of like one of the big entities in the state is WVU Health, which, you know, ironically, the I think the vice president or president was the advisor to Governor Justice who, who made all these terrible decisions. So to me, that's a huge conflict of interest. Here's a large health entity in the state which gets large amount of money from the state, advising the governor, which makes money from these decisions. That seems, so a point I'm getting at is probably they have rules like in WVU Health, which is one of the major, I think, no, definitely the biggest provider in the state, that they can't probably hire employees who aren't vaccinated. I'm not sure. But so I'm saying uh, in order to implement some of your campaign points, you may require legislative action or do you have any comments? Absolutely. I, no, I, I believe it will. And I believe that that's the type of um, systemic corruption. I'm not going to say it's personal corruption, but that's the type of systemic corruption that we need to be trying to fight within our state and ensure that we are opening up our state as much as possible um, to businesses, to the types of people that want to move here uh, to better our state. Uh, and that's the type of, like I said, systemic corruption that we need to be working against within our government and, and yeah. trying to resolve that with uh, some amendments to our constitution that resolve some of the, the over-centralization because I consider that part of the over-centralization. Yeah. And, and I might point that. out, delegates such as yourself should think about the fact, in my opinion, I know personally of parents who've moved out of the state because of these vaccine mandates mm -hmm. and failure to get any exemptions. And it's almost impossible to get exemptions. Suppose it was medical, but don't you give like, 100 in the whole state in a year, that's very few. Even that's very hard to get. Yeah. So if the if we're smart, we should have more freedom than parents will move in instead of moving out. Right, you know? and that, that's what I would like to try and help is create a better environment uh, in West Virginia and in Jefferson County for not only people to move in, but also for businesses to move in. Because I think we can bring in businesses if we create a better environment. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of tax incentives or things like that for businesses. We're trying to attract businesses that are going to change the culture of West Virginia uh, or the, the displace the people so that they can bring in new people into our area. What we want to do is try and create an environment where businesses want to come in. They, they compete to come into West Virginia so that they can compete for the people that we have here uh, as workers for their businesses. Uh, and it, creating an environment where freedom and liberty is our principal 
um, focus is, is I think the best way for West Virginia to uh, advance its cause of liberty. Okay, yeah, agreed, agreed on that. And um, yeah, well, I wanna mention one other issue. I'm involved in like a nonprofit that deals with education, specifically education, sexual health education centered around sexual absence for marriage. And we provided that in various schools. Um, so considering that pretty much all states or all school districts provide some kind of like HIV prevention, health education, do you think um, abstinence-centered education is a good idea as a standard for school-age youth? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I'm uh, wholeheartedly pro pro life um, and have been for all of my career, um, all of my life, frankly, uh, not my career because my career as a politician started in December. It hasn't. It's it's not like I wanted to be a politician throughout my life. I never had any intent to do this. But um, I, I believe that abstinence uh, and teaching our, our children um, a, a, a thinking wherein they understand that life is, in fact, precious and valuable uh, is absolutely, uh, should absolutely be part of our education if we are going to teach anything re relative to sexual education. Yeah, I know some people say, hey, that should be done in the family. I do agree that is the wrong thing. But the fact is people should realize, people who say that, I think they don't. Maybe they never had their kids in a public school. Hello, since like 1990, they're teaching health education and teaching HIV AIDS prevention. So right. it is being taught. So it should be absence centered in my opinion. Agree. Uh, yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. It, uh, what we, we don't want is we don't want to try and teach the, the types of things that uh, the left is proposing we mm -hmm. teach in many schools relative to transgenderism. Uh, or uh, sexual promiscuity. Those Agreed, and also yeah. the so-called, all the LGBTQ, whatever, agenda. Yeah. It, We're talking about, you know, basic, basic common sense stuff. Like yeah. if you don't have sexual sex, you'll be more successful if you wait till you're married to have children. If you graduate yeah. from high school, you'll yeah. be 90% less likely and your children live in poverty. Basic good information like that. Well, we should be trying to teach our, our children how to be good citizens within our society. And right. that includes civics. It, but we, we end up spending more time on um, non-core type issues than we do on the core type issues. And that's right. something that we need to be looking at within our entire educational system. Why, why are we not focused on core uh, issues? Um, with health education, yes, that, that is a value. And we do need to, to teach aspects of it. We need to teach our, our, our children about our own uh, history, uh, an accurate version, not the 1619 right. uh, CRT Agreed. version of our history, which is at, at best inaccurate, but really is more um, propaganda than it is anything else. So, but uh, when we, if we do, are teaching health education, um, teaching them that abstinence, teaching them that family values are important uh, and that establishing a family is, is uh, the best way to do any type of um, um, progression in your life is, right. is what we should be doing, not not teaching them the types of things that you and I just talked about in terms right. of uh, promiscuity and, and LGBTQ, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So to turn to a local issue, and I guess we're coming near the end of this interview. Um, so you mentioned accessing Mission Road to the South. Well, I, I've surveyed 
Shenandoah no, no. residents. I live in Shenandoah, by yeah. the way. And there is uh, most people support that. Uh, I, I assume you're talking about the fact that Mission Road dead ends, and there's some uh, probably four thousand some almost people down that way, and that if there's ever an emergency, you can't really evacuate those people on a little two lane road. Or do you want to say anything else about yeah, that? Yeah, let me let me just clarify that. I, I'm not really looking to to see if we could move uh, Mission or uh, create something from Mission Road all the way down to Route Seven. Um, I don't think that would be feasible. Uh, okay. I've I've talked with a number of folks. I've driven all down through there. Um, there are people that say that you can actually drive from Mission Road down to, to Route Seven via some tracks that are down there. I not unless you're in uh, a Humvee, and I, I've been in plenty of Humvees and some extremely rough terrain. And that it doesn't it doesn't go through. Terrible. I mean, yeah, maybe with an ATV you could have. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I, what I'm looking at is maybe cutting some emergency roads, and I, I've looked at basically three areas. I'm not sure that all three would be good accessible emergency roads to get people out of the northern part uh, of the Mission Road area through Mountain Mission, um, mainly through the Mountain Mission area um, and the Mannings area uh, in order to try and get to 115. Um, I, I do think that we should have some kind of uh, emergency preparedness drills on occasion with the state police fire department uh, to, to test that out. One, you, you would so have- So can I interject? To clarify, Go ahead. Yeah. so I'm somewhat familiar with what you're talking about since I've been studying it some. So the northern part, I mean, there are some roads. There's one road which is quite steep, probably not so practical, big per trail, has yep. a gate, and then there's a private road there yes. that uh -huh. could be an exit for the north part, That's although possible, it's not yes. currently. But And also, there's a very short distance between um, the cool Glen area and then uh, the area behind, um, what do you say, Blue Ridge, Blue Ridge. Elementary. Are you yeah, talking about that area making more than one exit versus the south thing we were Both mentioning? of those areas and uh, between Grandview Court and um, I can't remember the name of the road. I think it's Mountain. Um, but yes, it, that, that's another possibility. And those, I, I, what I would propose, and this is something that needs to be looked at, is cutting those in um, at best at probably graveling them uh, and having a gate that the, the state police uh, or the fire departments can control uh, so that we could uh, allow an exit, uh, so basically quadruple. And I don't, I'm not sure that all three would be feasible. And maybe that we would only triple our capacity. Okay, so again, you're not thinking that. about any southern not, way not to go out. Yeah, not permanent roads, no. I don't believe but yeah, but even emergency to the south, what are, are you thinking of anything or no? Well, I've I've thought about the possibility, and this would again have to be studied, and it would have to be approved by the population of Shannondale. This isn't something that should be um, dictated by either the, the county or by the state. Frankly, this is something that I, I think that the people of the the Shannondale area, the John Brown Farm area, um, should be looking at in terms of uh, a a bridge over the Shenandoah uh, that would link up uh, with the Cable Town area. Whether or not that's feasible, again, it, it's, that, that's something that would have to be studied. I, I think there have been some studies in the past. I've, I have not looked at those, but okay. I, I, do, I do worry about this, and I worry about this because 
uh, I've been in, uh, I've had to fight a couple of fires out in California when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, when they, we were loaned out to the local authorities to help fight uh, fires, uh, in some of the wildfires that would occur there. If we have a significant drought in this, drought in this area, uh, and we do have a, a fire, particularly with some of the underbrush that we have, you could see a, a pretty serious issue. Um, I, I personally fought one fire down uh, in the um, Shenandoah area that I, a, a transformer blew and it caught some brush under, uh, caught some brush um, fire and was preparing to uh, get to an abandoned uh, structure, a, a home. Uh, an abandoned home, and and if with the winds going the way they were, if it had uh, progressed, it would have gotten over to a home uh, just next door. So we were able to put the fire out. It took the fire department uh, and great folks, and I really appreciate the volunteers, but it took the fire department about 20, 25 minutes. If we hadn't been there, it definitely would have caught that house on fire, the abandoned house on fire, uh, and potentially it spread. It, it, the issue, part of the issue I see is, is that we've got some pretty good winds a lot of times coming up the mountain. As you know from, from that area, if you've got a very dry spell, a drought of some kind, you could potentially have a serious fire running up the mountain, and then you've got to get people out of there very quickly. Yeah. Um, and if you have any road, any kind of an accident on Mission Road itself, you've then got some kind of a, a, a traffic jam where people are not going to be able to get out. And at that yeah. point, I, I've listened to people say, well, you know, I can just walk across the, the ridge. I've been up on the ridge. Um, you're not walking across that ridge if you're not um, a, a, in reasonably good condition. We have elderly, we have children, uh, we have uh, people yeah, I agree. have that ability. We, you should mention that. There, you, yeah, there's, there's a lot you, of pre preserved yeah. area there. There's a friend's retreat and stuff. So that is a consideration, a beautiful area. Well, well and, I'm, and, Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to mention that. I mean, so, um, you know, that's something to consider. But yeah, no, I agree. It's definitely a safety issue, too. Yeah, it really is. And it, yeah, we, we need to be making sure that we're taking care of um, all of the people, not just the people who, you know, who say they can swim the Shenandoah River. That's <laughs> yeah, great. I hear you. Right. So a large number of people who are not going to be able to swim yeah. in Shenandoah or No, it, it makes sense. I think it should receive some uh, em emphasis, maybe some kind of bridge or something there. I mean, it's a large part of the county. I mean, you're talking about, what, 4,000 people or something down that way? So I think um, it's quite a bit more than even that. I, I've been told, and I, I haven't been able to verify this, that it's the largest subdivision uh, in West Virginia. It's definitely largest in area. I'm not sure the, the population, but... Yeah, so let's we draw to a close here. So basically, what are there other things you'd like to emphasize of why the voters should choose you or contrast you to the other other candidates in the primary? Well, I, I do have quite a bit of experience in dealing with the legislative and the executive side, uh, in particular, the executive side, as I mentioned, I, I was a retired or I'm a retired defense intelligence agency officer. I worked with the executive branch for uh, 40 years um, and understand how uh, it, an executive branch of government works. Um, I've written hundreds, probably thousands of reports, assessments uh, for executive action uh, within um, the federal government. Uh, I've worked with Congress, uh, specifically um, congre briefed congressional subcommittees, uh, participated in um, a number of meetings with congressional subcommittees, worked with 
congressional staffers. Uh, I actually did write uh, a, a study that ended up uh, changing federal law, the National Defense Authorization Act of 2018, in order to make a major revision to the way that our defense intelligence agents, uh, defense intelligence apparatus, the, the entire defense intelligence uh, system functions. So I, I understand how to work with and um, the, the legislative and executive sides. Uh, I understand uh, how to, to uh, develop things that will result in legislation that can uh, create significant changes. So um, from that perspective, I have, I think, a, a wealth of experience. Uh, I understand many of the, the issues that we are facing uh, within the state. Uh, I'm continuing to educate myself on basically every day. I've been out and have talked, I, I estimate at this point, at least uh, 2,800 people uh, within the district. And I'm continuing to do that because I want to learn what people's yeah. issues are. And, and congrats on getting up to Shenandoah. One of the neighbors yeah. told me you came by their house. That's impressive. I've never yeah. seen any other people campaigning in Shenandoah door to door. I've been up on the mountain. And I mean, when I've been up on the ridge, I've been like walking all the way up on the ridge. So I, I cheated and drove my car up to a point and stopped and then walked up. But um, I, it, that's to me, it's it's important to walk around because I can I, I can see what's going on with a lot of the roads. And that, that's one of the issues that bothers me, uh, particularly in the Shannondale area. We have some atrocious roads. I've, I've been in places where uh, I'm driving down a, a slope, the other car is driving down a slope, it's a one lane road, and it's a one lane road like I would see in Pakistan, um, where it's muddy at best, uh, it's not, it's barely gravel, there might be, you know, a few gravel pieces scattered here and there, and yet that's the roads that the people have to deal with in that area, and I want to see what we can try and do about that, I want to improve our road infrastructure, because again, that, that's the okay. type of thing that we can do to help increase uh, the competitiveness that West Virginia has with uh, other uh, states in terms of attracting businesses because they want their people to be able to okay. live their goods. All right. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, thank you very much for uh, being on the show today. I do urge everyone to get out on uh, May 10th and uh, you know vote your choice in the primary election. And well, I really appreciate you having me on. Right. There's three three candidates on the Republican side. So, um, yeah, and I'm very grateful for your time to come on. So uh, this has been an interview with Bill Ridenauer, and um, I'm your host, Richard Urban. We will see you next time.